Hey there, it's Christine welcoming you to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking, coming at you from a pretty beautiful day here in Asheville, North Carolina. It's a little chilly, but on the whole, nice and sunny, which I'm so happy about. I'm so happy it's spring. So I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. I knew going in to this interview that it was going to be good, but you guys, I learned so many cool little tidbits. You know, I'm always talking to amazing guests on the podcast for sure and learning things, but like little tidbits that I've never heard before are, you know, don't come very often. So I was really pumped to learn these things. I've been sharing them with clients and and other friends, and now I get to share it with you. So before we dive into the episode, I did want to let you know about a couple of things happening. If you are in Asheville or Western North Carolina or even, you know, upstate South Carolina and make the drive for the day. I am a part of an amazing women's retreat, one day retreat this weekend, this Saturday, and there are a couple of spots left. And what is this? April 30th is the date, depending on when you're listening to this. Of course, that's may or may not be this Saturday, but if you're listening to this right away, it is. And the retreat is called Creative Intentions Women's Retreat. And basically, it is going to be a cozy day that we're spending together at the Acne Bell Tiny House Village, which is nestled on 40, excuse me, 54 acres of Creekside farmland. And we're going to have art and movement, and I'm going to talk hormones, of course, and a community service art project to round out the day, which is going to be really special. And the theme is I am woman. And so the goal really is to gather with women to share, you know, and explore how we each wear this role as women in our own worlds. And it The bigger goal probably is to ultimately connect with other women, which we've not been able to do in person for, you know, quite some time now. I know we're just all starting to like stretch out our arms and legs and get back together. And this is one of those opportunities to really create and connect in a safe, loving space. And you get to connect with others, you get to connect with yourself and really build community around these strengths of the maiden or the mother or the crone. Um, So it's really for all ages of women. And I hope to see you there. If you can make it, it's going to be an incredible day. And then I also wanted to let you know that I have another fun webinar coming up. So I've been doing these webinars monthly. If you don't know already, I do a free webinar just about mid-month on a Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to really just, you know, get you some information in a short period of time, 30 minutes, that's gonna really make a big change in your hormone world. That is always my goal. And so this month, I am actually going to talk fibroids. Yes, I just released a whole, you know, Fibroids 101 program that you can um, get through my online school if you're ready to dive deep. But you can also just come and listen to this 30-minute intro session if you want to get an idea of essentially what the hell to do now that you have a fibroid. So I've called it, you've learned you've got a fibroid, now what? Because I find so many women just have no idea other than what their doctor is telling them to either get on some kind of birth control or suppressing, uh, you know, hormone suppressing medication, or if it's large enough to go ahead and do surgery. And there are other options out there. 
So during this webinar, you're going to learn what a fibroid is, what their different locations are, and how that can impact the symptoms that you're, ha you're having, um, the underlying causes of fibroids, because yes, they do have underlying causes. They didn't just pop out of nowhere. And then what you can naturally do to support your body when you have a fibroid, including diet, supplement, and lifestyle changes, and then which hormone labs that I utilize with my clients in order to determine particularly how your estrogen is metabolizing, which plays a major role when it comes to fibroids. So I really want women to make decisions around their fibroids from an empowered place. That is my goal with both this free intro webinar and also my Fibroids 101 program, which again, if you want to go ahead and dive deep into knowing everything you can possibly know about fibroids and your options, you can get that through my online school. So if you didn't know, I do have an online school. Um, you can go through my website, christinegarvin.com and click on the online school and you're going to find a bunch of different webinars and presentations and programs that dive deeper into all the areas of hormone health for women and some gut healing stuff too. You know, I've got it all. There's even some good manifestation stuff on there. So it's a great way if you want to just kind of taste test some of my work. Um, if you've been thinking about working with me, but you're not quite ready, this is a good place to go in and see what, you know, may help support you in this process that you're going through with your hormones and or your gut. So again, you can go to my website, christinegarvin.com and um, click on through there. I will also put a link for both the um, upcoming retreat this weekend and for my online school in the notes for this episode. So um, for the retreat, there it's through Eventbrite that you buy it. Um, and that will be in the notes and then also separately for my online school. Okay, so I think that is everything for this week. So happy that we get to jump in here with Dr. Tanisha Wards. She's so great to talk to and you're going to learn a ton. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. I am so glad to be here with you as always. Have a really, really cool guest today that has an amazing sort of uh, history of similar to myself going through some what I like to call health breakdowns that, you know, really ultimately brought us to the work that we do. And what happens when you go through these health breakdowns is you try out a bunch of different things to sort of figure out what's going on. And it usually takes some time to get to the root of what is happening, right? And the root can also be multifaceted, whether it's hormonal issues or gut issues or beyond. So I'm so excited to talk today with Dr. Tanisha Wards. 
who is the founder of Infinity Wellness Center in Austin, Texas, and the Energy Recovery System Online Functional Medicine Coaching Program. She's a holistic doctor who concentrates on chronic fatigue, GI issues, women's hormone issues from pre to post-menopause to infertility, fibromyalgia, headaches, burnout, and insomnia. She believes in the importance of treating the whole person and not just the symptoms. Thousands of women have found Dr. Wards after not seeing results with traditional practitioners cookie cutter programs, and expensive supplements. Her holistic approach to wellness means she specializes in finding and correcting the core root cause to conditions like chronic fatigue, chronic pain, and fibromyalgia. Drawing from her personal struggles with Lyme disease, autoimmunity, and Epstein-Barr virus is where she finds the fuel to pursue her passion, helping people heal near and far. You can find her on Instagram at infinitywellnessatx and at Dr. Tanisha, as well as her website, drtanishawards.com. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to dive in and chat with you today. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of told us in a bit in your bio, what you've been through sort of on a um, condensed level. So I would love to hear, you know, more specifically about these kind of health breakdowns that you've experienced in your life and, and really, you know, what happened with those. Yeah. I love, I love that you call it a health breakdown because yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was and what it it felt like. The first one was when I was 15, um, literally overnight woke up with joint pain, severe fatigue, brain fog. And the weird thing was I was unable or two weird things. I was unable to bend any of my joints to the point where they were just like really stiff. I had to run them under hot water to kind of loosen them up. And then I had a giant rash on one of my legs Mm -hmm. and this was 1994. So they didn't know what it was. A lot of people now might hone in like, oh, that could be Lyme disease. Right. Um, Then we literally spent a year going from doctor to doctor. Well, that morning, my mom called my pediatrician again. I was 15 years old and they brought me in through the back door and quarantined me because I really didn't know what was going on. Right. Right. I was really, really sick. And the rash was like, Ooh, what, you know, is this contagious? So I became kind of a girl in a bubble for a second there before, you know, quarantining and and things like that were mainstream media. (laughs) Um, But it took us multiple doctors and really my mom's own research to find Lyme disease is really what, and you didn't really have, you know, the internet then in the, I mean, barely had it then much less like all of the information that we have access to today. So I can imagine how hard that was to actually find at that point. She went to the library, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the old (laughs) library things under infectious disease. Yeah. But it was, um, and we went to multiple doctors and they kept saying, you know, I had rheumatoid arthritis. I had lupus. They thought I had MS, like all the things that just kept coming back negative And it was frustrating. Yeah. And they weren't really digging deeper at, at, you know, multiple points. They just said, well, here's some pain meds and some steroids and an antidepressant. Right. Like that was kind of what I was given. And the steroids we now know really kind of stirs up the Lyme and makes things worse. And so Mm -hmm. I got puffy. I gained weight. I had issues, felt worse. Um, and finally my mom took it upon herself and found a doctor who was there's a lot of political controversy over Lyme disease at the time in Michigan where I grew up and like you had a call and say you were just fatigued or had fibromyalgia to get the appointment to get treated for Lyme. It was wow. Wow. Um, so that was the first time it took me probably a year to recover and catch back up with school and get back to life. And fortunately I did and graduated on time and 
and, you know, got through it and slowly things got better, but I will say at 15 and we, I joke about it now, but I was so committed to getting well that, you know, I would be the girl that brought to cheerleading practice. And after a game, everybody went to like Taco Bell and I was eating fruits and vegetables and slices of Turkey out of my lunchbox <laughs> because I felt so bad that I just didn't care yeah. if I was made fun of, or I didn't care, you know, people knew I'd miss school and things. So I had to really change my food then my diet early. Yeah. Yeah. And because also I was put on a high dose of antibiotics when they found out it was Lyme, which didn't actually cure it. I ended up having to go an herbal route. Um, I had yeast problems, candida, oh, yeah. the whole thing. So I was doing the candida free, the yeast connection diet in mm-hmm. you know, the nineties mm-hmm. when it first came out kind of thing. Well, I think that came out like in the seventies, but right. But it was, it was yeah, it gained popularity then. Yeah. Was not popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it was not popular. So <laughs> So that was, that was the first time. And I really, truly believed I beat Lyme and, and, and spent two decades without any symptoms until I had my daughter at 36 and I got Mm. really, really sick after I stopped breastfeeding. So a year later, um, stopped breastfeeding and just the bottom fell out. Mm -hmm. And I should also preface that even though I had not had a symptom of Lyme, in two decades, we tested and it was still showing up on my blood. So I I started working with a doctor out of Seattle who had a lot of experience with fertility and Lyme. And I opted to do antibiotics to not pass it through the placenta because Mm. the herbs could cause miscarriages. Right. Right. So, and I talk about this in my book that if there's one mistake, I wouldn't have breastfed over a year because my body couldn't take it. Talking about hormones and the connection, like my pituitary gland, I think just couldn't do it any longer. Mm-hmm. So I stopped after a year and, you know, I'm a chiropractor by trade and it's our culture to like breastfeed, breastfeed our babies till they're in kindergarten almost. Right. Like right. It's just, it's just part of what we do, who we are is, is a profession, mostly like the crunchier ones. Right. And so I really felt like a failure, but looking back that I only made it a year looking back, you know, I had to be on antibiotics to ensure I didn't pass it. That was really all prevention. So when I stopped breastfeeding and I went off of them, the bottom fell out. And mm. I thought, oh my gosh. Cause it was just kind of low level keeping things like, okay. Right. And then take it away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think at that point, my gut was probably right. right. I mean, yeah. it just like mutilates the gut to yes. have to be on antibiotics for that long. And it was a low level, but it was for almost two, well, it was two years. By yeah. The time I you know, went through the pregnancy and, and then the year of breastfeeding. And I thought, oh my gosh, the Lyme disease came back we must've stirred them up with antibiotics, but it didn't. Um, I wasn't showing really, I didn't have any pain. That was a big thing for me. I didn't have the joint pain. I was just tired and brain Mm. fogged and moody. And so doing what I do, I started running my own tests. I was like this, my spidey senses tell me this isn't a Lyme flare up. This doesn't feel like I've felt in the past. And that's when I found Epstein-Barr virus and Hashimoto's thyroid, which is very, very common. And I'm sure you see this after pregnancy, after menopause, even seeing it after puberty, we're seeing Hashimoto's show up. Yeah. We don't know exactly what or why it's being triggered, except for a big swing in hormones, I think has a big something to do with the autoimmunity of the thyroid. And so that was, can I ask you, did you have mono too, when you were younger or not that I remember and not Mm -hmm. that I can recall. Mm -hmm. However, I tell people mono is the week longer, longer flu, right? Right. Most flus are three or four days. 
And when I say that most people are like, oh yeah, I was sick for two weeks at one point. I was just never tested. Mm. And it's hard to say because I was so sick from that time to 15 to like almost 17 years old. Like who the hell knows? Right. (laughs) Right. It could have shown and expressed then. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I was never tested. However, my brother was tested for mono when we were younger. So it definitely was in the house. Gotcha. Yeah. Probably it expressed and, you know, yeah. it could have lied dormant until I had Lyme and hundred percent. I Who see knows? that with, I mean, EBV a lot, right. It's just like hanging out down there and then something happens, something traumatic happens and boom, that gets flared and people didn't realize they had it until then. Absolutely. So even though I can't remember a time when I was younger, I was sick enough to say, well, it could have been during this time. Mm-hmm. So I definitely had it in there and yeah. And that's a different treatment plan, right? Than Lyme disease to get those two things under control. You have to stop the attack. You have to stop the inflammation. So, so it cost me again, about a year of my life mm-hmm. of, of restoring your health. And that just, you know, now I know yeah. that that could also be an issue. And it did take me only about 90 days to get those Hashimoto's antibodies gone down, nice. which is interesting. Cause an endocrinologist will tell you, once you have Hashimoto's, you always have it. It's like, well, if you don't have the yeah. antibodies and you walked into their office, they'd never know you had it. So exactly. I, I agree and, with that. And I just have to, I've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, working with clients who just, you maybe get their thyroid tested through a GP and I tell them, you know, get their antibodies tested. Let's make sure I've had numerous clients, GPs say, oh, don't worry about the antibodies being high. And then even an endocrinologist or two being like, oh yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Like that blows my mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's a different treat. It's a completely different approach, right? Yeah. And what's also interesting, and I know you've seen this, is the TSH could be fine. Exactly, 100%. And especially in their wide range, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have an autoimmune disorder. So they're going like this. I've had had numerous patients get misdiagnosed with bipolarism and it was Hashimoto's because you could be high on Monday and you could be low on Wednesday. Yeah. And I've seen the TSH swing that far that you look hypo one day and hyper the next day. Like it's, it's real. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, I know that obviously there's probably a whole comprehensive thing that you did to get those, um, antibodies down, but what are some of the big things that you recommend for people t- to do? Glutathione is my biggest mm. one. I, I use a cream topically as well as, um, on your thyroid. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. On okay. the thyroid glutathione cream. Yes. It smells kind of like sulfur. Um, so it doesn't smell great, but it's, yeah. it's worth it. You got to deal oral glutathione yeah. at the same time. And if you can intravenous glutathione will flush mm. that inflammation because the body's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. It's attacking something that's inflamed or, or, or it could have an infection in it. I definitely think the EBV correlates with it. So the body's attack, you know, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It sees it as an enemy and attacks it. So we need mm-hmm. to lower the inflammation to lower the attack also. Mm-hmm. If the person's not off gluten, going off gluten, we don't, yep. we don't know exactly why, but the, the thyroid is inflamed by gluten and it's, it's partially because of a similar molecular structure to some of the cells. Other than that, we don't know much more, but we know that right. gluten, you know, attacks it or, or inflames it. So getting off gluten is a big one. Yeah. And then I like to use um, the animal extract of, an, of a thyroid to act mm. as a decoy. Mm. Thyroid could be used for this. I use a product by standard process called thytrophin that has sheep, um, thyroid in it. So it's a decoy. The body starts attacking that tissue. Mm. Oh, I'd never heard that before. Oh, interesting. 
Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, I use thytrophin for some of my clients, but I didn't realize that that's going to help as a decoy. That's really cool. Yep. And so yeah. really just bringing down the inflammation while the body's attacking something else is probably the biggest key in 60 to 90 days. I can get the antibodies under control if they're going on a, you know, autoimmune low inflammatory diet, yep. like an AIP, because it is an autoimmune disorder, which would naturally take you off gluten. Yeah. And I think glutathione is a secret weapon with that. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one before. So I definitely will include that in recommendations for my clients because Hashimoto's, as you mentioned, is it's rampant. The other tip with glutathione is, and I learned this, um, at a conference somewhere is I started using it. My thyroid, this was five, six years ago now that it's so antioxidant and anti-wrinkle mm-hmm. that I started using it as my moisturizer. Oh, interesting. Glutathione cream. And I've literally had people in the last couple of years say, you have a glow about you. And I'm like, I think I'm aging backwards from the glutathione. The glutathione. I love that. So do you think it's okay for people to use it to, if they don't have Hashimoto's, but have thyroid issues? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just an antioxidant. Right. You know, it's right. It's our master antioxidant. Yeah. We, it's most of us need it. Yeah. One in the body. So I yeah. think I use it on a patient. If they sprained an ankle, I use it. If they have back pain, I use it, you know, for Hashimoto's yeah. I use it over the liver topically. If, if their liver enzymes oh, yeah. are high to start lowering inflammation and detoxing the liver, it, it and that's just topically. I mean, you can take yeah. it internally and it hits systemic. But yeah, but when I, I love that, that idea like, of topically though. Yeah. I just, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely in the mix so, so much for so many of my clients, especially women, you know, perimenopause liver issues are just so huge, but I love the idea of the topical aspect of it. So thank you for that tip. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's working as a moisturizer. I'm going to, I'm going to keep using yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm definitely getting on top of that. Do you add it? Do you do it by itself or do you add it to another moisturizer? I actually just use it as my moisturizer. Okay. Straight up. Do you have a particular brand you want to recommend or I like, I like apex energetics because it has some other, um, it has turmeric oil in it. It has lavender, which lavender masks the sulfur smell a bit still kind of has a lingering smell. Yeah. Um, some people break out a little bit from the essential oils in it, like the lavender sure. and, and, and I think it even has Boswellia. So it's really anti-inflammatory. Wow. Yeah. But most people can tolerate it fine. Yep. Yeah. Apex Energetics is my go-to. I okay. think almost every brand, Numedica, um, Neurobiologics, they all have a, a topical glutathione cream on the market now. Mm-hmm. Most of them smell like sulfur. So <laughs> Apex is the most tolerable one with the essential oils added that most people are like, yeah, I can smell that, you know, without gagging in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as exciting as sulfur smell is first thing in your day, you're like, let's get this party started. Um, very, very cool. I know we went totally off topic there, but I was just okay. like, yeah, <laughs> so fascinated. Um, so bringing it back to you, So after this kind of year of getting your health back post, you know, stopping, um, uh, with your daughter, then what happened then? Yeah. So we were in a huge expansion, um, just time in our clinic. So, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about stresses and trauma. So I had, I was being pulled in a lot of different ways and, and since really since recovering from that myself, I, um, created the energy recovery program, which mm. I have since trademarked into the infinity way program. Mm. And it really is about finding and correcting the core root cause of chronic fatigue mm. because there's so many misdiagnoses mm-hmm. and things have been great. Yep. It took me about a year to recover. And I can honestly say my energy has never been better. I've not felt better. Um, 
definitely doing a lot of the things we already do in the clinic, yeah. digging in, finding it, and then fixing it, which definitely started with gut repair. As I mentioned, yes. having been on the prevention protocol for Lyme transmission was gut repair is crucial. Like that's yeah. almost our foundational starting point for every case. People come in and say, well, doctor, I came in for, you know, hormone issues and anxiety. Why am I, why are we changing my food and doing a gut repair protocol? And it's like, well, all that stuff starts in the gut, our yeah. brain chemicals, everything. So, so that just doing the right thing in the right order, put, putting together a process was really, I was like, I, you know, I don't want other women to have to go through this. It, it was hard. It yeah. affected my business, my marriage, all of it, just being that sick with a, with a one-year-old. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up about the gut because I'm always telling my clients the same thing, right? I mean, occasionally I'm like, okay, so they're so bad off. We got to go in and sort of like just support those hormones so that they can start to feel a little bit better, but then we need to get in there and see what's going on in the gut. So what is your process of that doing that? Yeah. So two parts, I am not against giving bioidentical plant-based hormones yeah. while the person is healing. Yes. Mm -hmm. If they have all their parts, they shouldn't have to be on that forever. In my right. opinion, if we can fix the pituitary thyroid, adrenal speaking to the ovaries, you know, that whole HP axis, you know, going downstream bioidentical hormones shouldn't be a long-term thing in my opinion. And mm -hmm. at the same time, until we heal the gut, until the liver's detoxing, until we address genetic methylation issues, yes. all the stuff that we do in the background of the process of healing, sometimes it's needed. Yeah. For sure. To just get you off the floor. Yeah. Get you up and going. Yeah. So definitely the first step is running labs. Mm -hmm. You know, what's what the heck's going on? Let's lift the hood. You know, we've got the symptoms, the check engine soon light is on. Let's lift the hood and see where our starting point is. And most of the time it's the gut. So we kind of build you up before we break you down, right? Like mm -hmm. heal the gut and then do some liver cleanses, lowering inflammation all throughout the process and really honing in on what organ, what gland stops sending the messages properly. And oftentimes we trace it all the way back up to the pituitary gland. Mm -hmm. I would say a lot of cases also are, are really hormonal cases are really adrenal fatigue. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. The adrenal is not going to send the signal back down to the ovaries. If it's over here dealing with a crisis, right? It's going to rob Peter to pay Paul. If, yep. if it's running from a tiger or a bear or a boss or a child or a mortgage. Right? Yeah, it's or all of the above. <laughs> or a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to connect properly downstream to the ovaries. So, you know, just giving hormones and just treating the ovaries is band-aid. You know, I yeah. think it's, it's, the, it's what's wrong with allopathic medicine. They're just mm -hmm. going after oh, well, if we give you this pill, you'll feel better. Let's not actually fix the problem and get your body working on its own. And that's, that's the opposite of our philosophy. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So um, speaking to bioidentical hormones, since you brought that up, you know, a lot of listeners are in perimenopause. And so do you feel like there is a time in perimenopause that maybe if they do go on bioidenticals, that maybe they're going to need to stay on them? You know, ideally, um, two or three years while you're going through peri to perimenopause and menopause, mm -hmm. um, that's optimal mm -hmm. because once the ovaries shut down naturally, again, assuming you're not getting anything taken out, once the ovaries shut down naturally in a perfect world, the adrenals will still, they'll pick up the slack, right? Mm -hmm. They'll still make enough progesterone for osteoblasts and bone growth and osteoclasts, right? And then you know, we need the estrogen for vaginal secretions and mood. And we need all the hormones for hair, skin, nails, a muscle tone for testosterone. Like we need all that still, we need a low level of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Yeah. 
not enough to make a baby and hold a baby, but the adrenals can make that much. Here's where it gets tricky is most of our adrenals are shot. And so they're just not making it because they're exhausted. So that's where I think that, yes, maybe giving those hormones. So life isn't treacherous through that, you know, specifically progesterone. And I shy away from giving much estrogen. However, it's sometimes needed. Um, you, of course, never give estrogen without progesterone. progesterone yep. That's a miss. I can't mm-hmm. even tell you how many patients walk in my office taking straight estradiol or yeah. straight estrogen patch. And I'm like, okay, you know, what's your progesterone look like? And they're like, I'm not taking progesterone. And I'm like, oh, this is why you're here because you feel like you're a mess. Yeah. Because you're highly emotional because of all the estrogen. So yeah. And the increase in possibility of cancer. I mean, it's like, it's crazy, right? Right. So the first thing I get them on is like dim to -hmm. clear the estrogen through the Mm -hmm. liver. Like, okay, you've been on this synthetic. And that's the other thing too. Sometimes it's bioidentical. Sometimes it's synthetic. Either way, if you're giving estrogen without progesterone, you're going to feel off. Yep. So so, however, but I do think maybe those three or four years, it's, it's worth being on. If you mm-hmm. are under stress, your adrenals are overworked and sometimes even after for a while, because the adrenals, until you can heal them, mm-hmm. they're never going to regulate the hormones. So you need something to feel okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's lifelong, ideally not. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I have patients here that work in high stress tech jobs and they're like, you know, I got 10 more years of this job yep. to keep me upright. Yep. So, <laughs> they're like, you will pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> so I meet them where they're at too. Yep. Like, they'll just tell me some of them work in tech and they're like, I'm up at three in the morning every night, you know, speaking Jeez. to somebody overseas. It's like, all right, your adrenals are never going to heal if you're breaking up sleep like that. Exactly. Yeah. They're just not. Yeah. So yes, let's not take your hormones away because you're going to crash. Right. Absolutely. So going back to adrenals, because we just kind of started touching on that and then I went the bioidentical route, but what are some of your favorite ways to start, you know, supporting the adrenals? Definitely lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes, you know, I say we need six hours of uninterrupted sleep for the, for the whole body to heal, but definitely the adrenals Mm -hmm. regulating the circadian rhythms. And so I do a lot of that with, um, calming herbs, adaptogenic Mm -hmm. herbs. And sometimes people, you know, they're this wired and tired, they're up all night, uh, wired and they, but then they they're exhausted and then they can't sleep. So sometimes I'll just mimic the correct cycle for them until we Mm -hmm. can heal it. So I'll give them some sort of stimulatory herb in the morning, Mm -hmm. calm them at night. And sometimes I use brain chemicals like GABA with it too. Mm -hmm. So I'll try to create the the correct 24 hour circadian rhythm where they're Mm -hmm. high cortisol and it slowly lowers in in the evening. And that's sometimes what we have to do. We just have to go in hard and fast and kind of create it for them. So we can get the body to start doing it on its own. Yeah. Um, a lot of it, again, like the phytrophin, I use a lot of the protomorphogens for healing the adrenals, mm-hmm. a lot of things like rhodiola, ashwagandha, these adaptogenic herbs. Um, again, though, if stress will trump the best protocol. So yep. if they're just in fight or flight, we may not heal the adrenals. Right. Um, but then also addressing pituitary and thyroid and, and ovaries. So the adrenals aren't overworking. Right. So sometimes giving the hormones will give the adrenals a break to have to regulate the hormones yeah to let them heal too so it's there's so much with it there's so I know much and it's it. like sometimes trying to figure it out right it can take a minute to figure out sort of how to go in do you like adrenal glandulars at all or are you yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep, I definitely use a lot of glandulars too to yeah. rebuild you know the analogy I like to use is how do we build muscle it's protein you know eating animal muscle and so same kind of thing build up mm-hmm. the adrenals for sure 
One simple thing is I tell people to wake up at sunrise and mm-hmm. try to go lay down at sunset, which is hard to do when, you know, it's winter and it's early, but you know, waking up and being outside when the sun is coming up, opens yeah. up, wakes up the hypothalamus, the pineal gland, the pituitary, all of that tells the brain to start making all the morning, you know, cortisol and hormones yes. that we need to get through the day. So sometimes it can be that simple. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just part of it, right? It is. It is. But it's like, I always start with that with clients too, because it, it's free, you know, and yeah. it, it's, it's such a good, easy way, you know, and sometimes people will say, well, well, what if it's not sunny? I'm like, well, even, I mean, obviously if it's dark, then you're going to have to do something different. Um, but even if it's cloudy, there's still light, right? It's still going to trigger your, you know, through your eyes, that cortisol to start going up. Um, and so, you know, because people always often want that pill, that thing, you know, and it's like really the, you know, I'm glad you're focusing on the lifestyle component because that's essential. Can't trick nature. Nope. Try. Yeah. And you can override it sometimes, but it's hard. And then at night, shutting that right brain down to bring yeah. down the cortisol to make more melatonin is yes, it's, it might be dark out, but what screen is in front of us that's keeping yeah. the cortisol up, right? Especially scrolling social media. I think the anticipation of what's going to happen next, like it's just, yeah, we're just, just not good. Really yeah. Yeah. Making a mess of our uh, endocrine system right now. Right. <laughs> right. I just, um, started actually today on my Instagram, a little like body spring cleaning thing and spoke to sleep first. Right. And this nighttime ritual, because, you know, one of the things, so I, um, as many listeners know, you know, I had a surgery that went wrong that led to some emergency surgeries and I was in the hospital for quite some time. And I got really dependent in the hospital on just having, you know, like TV playing in the background, um, in order to help me sleep. And so I find myself sometimes going back to that where I'll just have, you know, it's on my computer, which is like even worse because it's in the bed, you know, but just to have that sound to help me sleep. And just a couple of days ago, I was like, all right, I got to like clean this up again. Right. Because even though I still sleep with it, I know I'm not getting that deep kind of sleep, you know, I'm definitely waking up more often. And so just that pulling the computer out of my room, taking the phone out of my room, unplugging as much as I can. And the Wi-Fi is in the next room over unplugging that. And it's amazing. You feel it immediately that night, just the deeper sleep that comes from that, you know? So, and it's hard to get away from that stuff, right? It just is. is. It is. And one of the things that, you know, another thing that I tell people too, like for me, it's about also getting like a, a really funny or just easy to read book that I am wanting to get into bed with and read at night, you know, because nothing like heavy, nothing that's going to work my mind too much, just something that's going to be that sort of transition to sleep. Another tip I heard a couple of years ago was playing the Sudoku math game mm. at night, or even just sitting there adding four plus four will turn on the left brain, which, tr- which calms down the right brain, which is oh. our visual keeping you active. Why the screens, why the television keeps you up. Right. Right. But if you can get into your left brain, which reading not yeah. a Kindle, right. right? Exactly. Like a, a real paper, book. <laughs> yeah. Because of the light, even if yep. you have it down low, the light still activates that, that right blue brain. light. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, reading math games, you know, anything like that, it will activate the left, which then calms down the imagination and the right. And then you can, you can go down, your cortisol will lower. So yeah, no reading an actual book, right? Who still does that? Yeah, um, I know, I know. I right know. Thing to do. 
it, it really is, you know, it's like this really simple, it's just kind of going back to the way that we did things for like millennia, essentially. Right. Right. <laughs> and that back, you're absolutely right. Getting yeah. as close back to nature and earth yeah. that we can is really, I think what's going to save us. Yeah. And we're so far removed from it. So yeah. far removed from it. Absolutely. So can we talk a little bit more about Lyme and EBV? Yeah. Because these are such prevalent things that I think um, are just starting to come to the surface as being more well-known, right? And it a lot of people don't know they, they have them. So I, yeah. Yes, I would love to. I think Lyme is an epidemic that we're just not talking enough about. Mm. May is Lyme disease awareness month. Mm -hmm. And it's just not being talked about here in central Texas. And I know it's where you're at too. It's, mm -hmm. wooded, it's, you know, there's deer and ticks everywhere. Yard. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and it used to be like, this strain was on this coast. This strain is on that coast. Now it's all just everywhere. And yeah. I would, I will definitely make this bet any day. More than half fibromyalgia cases are Lyme disease. Mm, more than half mm -hmm. chronic fatigue cases are Lyme disease and or EBV, probably more like 70 or 80%, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And I started realizing this in my practice when people were coming in early on with fibromyalgia and I'm listening and having gone through this myself and my, again, spidey senses or medical intuition or just knowledge mm -hmm. is going off. And I'm like, well, what's causing the fibro pain? You know, right. this sounds exactly like Lyme. Yeah. What do you mean? You know, you're too tired to lift your head. That's not just chronic fatigue syndrome. What's causing the chronic fatigue syndrome and both EBV and Lyme are what we call stealth pathogens. They hide. So they're not easy to find. Sometimes they can, your body can get so used to them in these biofilms that they don't even spike white, white blood cells mm. so much. So, mm -hmm. and so that on a normal range, right. A functional range is a little tighter and we'll, we'll pick it up. Right. If it's a high normal or a low, you know, it's still no, in normal range, but it's a high normal. Yeah. Um, Can I ask if it's, if you see low white blood cell count, is that a good indication? Over time. Over yeah, time. If yeah. It's if, chronic, it's con if it's, yes. Okay. Cause I have a client that that's like going use, on. So I'm just curious. The analogy I like to use for that one is when there's an intruder, mm -hmm. the white blood cells go out like the Marines, like mm -hmm. they're the first ones on the boots on the ground. Like there's tons of them and tons of them and tons of them. And if the bug is winning, the white blood cells are dying. Mm. Off. So now that lowers. So when it first happens, all the white blood cells are all hands on deck. And then if it's been six months, nine months, a year, two years, you know, the body count of the white blood cells has gone down and down and down. And now it's chronically low. Yeah. There's nothing that triggers me more than when a patient comes in and they have, you know, you've been there, the binder of blood work. You know, they've been to a doctor for, they've been to doctors for a decade and they're like, yeah, you know, the only thing we're really noticing is my white blood cells, cells have been chronically low for the last eight years. And mm. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, my doctor said it's normal because, you know, they're not really finding anything because they're not running the right tests, looking for the right mm. bugs. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm like this, this means something. If your white blood cells are chronically low, a your immune system's not up to par. That's right. one problem. But B, there is something causing it that's not only causing it, but winning the fight yep. against you. Yeah. So so they're hard to find. They're they're definitely not the testing for Lyme disease, the simple ELISA test that you do in blood that any lab could do, clinical pathology or lab core, these nationwide labs, 
is only 65, 60 to 65% accurate mm. because these bugs can hide, right? They can get out of the blood. They can get into the connective tissue. And so, and I'm talking Lyme disease and all the co-infections that are also tick-borne vector spread. Um, so we like to do a blood spotting test, which is a little different how it's read and also urine testing. Mm. And the big thing about the urine test is I have patients go for a lymphatic drainage massage before. Mm. And so we're stirring up these bugs in the lymph and then they're urinating. They take the second urine after the massage. So we're, we're pushing it into the bladder and, and out. Yeah. So that, that still is not a hundred percent accurate test. It's 90 to 95% accurate. Much so, better. Yeah. Much better. Yeah. And again, these little things are sneaky little suckers. So they're yeah. hard to find. And then they're also a whole nother hardness to treat treat them. Yeah. And do you think that Lyme is found in more than just ticks? That is a, that is a dying question that has not been totally proven by the CDC, but I do, I think mm-hmm. spiders and mosquitoes and fleas. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've absolutely. been reading about mosquitoes and I mean, that just makes sense, right? Because, you know, I mean, I think most of us have probably come across ticks without realizing it, but still the fact that it's so prevalent and not everybody necessarily is getting bit by ticks. It just seems like it's probably in other species too. Totally. I mean, a lot of people are like, I've never hiked. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't have a yard. How did I get a tick? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Also they, they question, you know, is it spread sexually and mm. know it can be that hasn't been proven, right? We know it can be spread through the placenta mm-hmm. that has been proven because they found it in the umbilical cord and things. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So that's why I took the preventative measures, but yeah, Makes who sense. knows how yeah. else it's being spread. I think it's again, not being studied enough and not getting the attention it needs right? because it's not killing people by the masses. It's just debilitating them. Right. Long-term. Yeah. And I, you know, I did a project a few years ago with women that uh, we called it hidden because it was like hidden illnesses, right? They look fine. Yeah. They actually, most of them are very beautiful and, you know, very well put together, but they've literally been living with undiagnosed chronic illnesses or they they're given, you know, fibromyalgia, this and that and just get passed on from doctor to doctor to doctor. And it's like, there's something underlying this. It's not (laughs) just these things happening. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And and that's the hard part, right? You don't look sick. Right. Oftentimes with things like Lyme disease and Epstein-Barr virus, you look tired sometimes for sure, but it's not, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just hard. It's hard to find. And it's hard to explain to people the pain and the fatigue. That's not just, Oh, I'm a little tired or, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I just, I'm sore from working out. It's, it's, it can be debilitating. I've had patients that have been bedridden for decades. Yeah. So when you find Lyme, um, and or EBV, do you often go sort of the antimicrobial route or does the antibiotic route come up too? So, in my scope, I don't use antibiotics. I use mm-hmm. all um, herbs, mm-hmm. but that's not the starting point. You know, if someone comes in, we find Lyme and we go in straight for the kill, they're going to crash. Yeah. They're going to Herx beyond Herxheimer, which is a word named after Dr. Herxheimer for feeling worse before you feel better when mm-hmm. the bugs are dying. Mm-hmm. We have to go through the whole process. And this is our infinity way process of, we have to heal the gut, balance mm-hmm. blood sugar, balance your pH, detox the liver, you know, lower inflammation in the body all increase any, you know, gut microbiome that you're missing, increase any vitamins, nutrients. We run a micronutrient test. We have to build all of these things mm-hmm. up to get ready, open up lymphatic drainage pathways, 
we have to do all this stuff so that when we kill the bugs, your body can get rid of it because mm-hmm. Lyme specifically, and this isn't the case in, in EBV and I'll explain that in a second, but Lyme specifically, you know, the bugs let off a neurotoxin when they die, which make you feel bad. And so you need to get rid of and flush that stuff. And we use binders and all the other stuff to help Mm -hmm. flush it. But, you know, the body has to be able to manage the die off Mm -hmm. or you're Mm -hmm. just going to stir these bugs up and make them mad. EBV is a little different, right? Because you can't kill a virus. The analogy I like to use is once you have cold sores, herpes virus, right? Simplex one, you always have it. Mm -hmm. It's just, can we keep your immune system here and the, and the virus way down here that you're not showing or expressing a cold sore. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we can keep this balance. You know, the minute you go through divorce, you have financial problems, you get COVID, you got the flu. Now, now these viruses are like party time, you know, and that's the same with EBV. And I, this is going a little off topic, but we we're seeing a lot of post COVID long haul. I was, I was going to ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them has an active infection of Epstein-Barr virus. I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. I don't know if because they had COVID and it hit them and the EBV was already there and it expressed. Or do they have EBV and it was right here and then COVID just put them over and and, and they can't recover because of the active EBV. But that is something that I think needs to be mainstream. That's what we talked about. I found that and significant methylation defects in every single one of them. Mm, Interesting. Okay. Can you speak? We've been talking a little bit recently on the podcast more about methylation issues, but can you speak to that and sort of how that connects? Yeah. Methylation is essentially your MTHFR gene for sure. And it's, um, it's the body's ability to take in what is put into or on the body. So food, lotion, you put on your body, air, you're breathing, stuff in the water, preservatives, everything that comes in the body says, do I want to detox this? And this is the methylation pathway. Do I want to send this next down the detox pathway, get rid of it, or can I keep it and convert it into methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is the folate, the methyl folate form or methyl B12, methylcobalamin. And then that, those two forms, methyl folate, methylcobalamin, so methyl B9, methyl B12, then go into another pathway of 250 other chemical reactions to make energy. Mm-hmm. So essentially methylation, even though it's kind of being called the detox support system, which it mm-hmm. is the, the first step in the detox system, it's really more of a sorting system. Do I want to keep this or I want to detox it? Do I want to keep it and send it through the methyl pathways or detox it? And so I think everything goes to that pathway, even bugs, mm-hmm. infections, everything, mm-hmm. right? Food mm-hmm. dies, all of it. So I'm wondering if these people are just not able to recognize the bad stuff quickly and Mm. and bugs are getting through. I I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly why, but all of them have significant methyl pathway defects, not just one of them, like six and seven of, because also the other thing where I think mainstream medicine is starting to catch on, but they're only running the two MTHFR genes. We run all 18 in the pathway. You might not have the MTHFR gene itself, but you have the four before that step. So you're not even going to get to that step. Right. You have to look at the whole pathway to determine if somebody has a genetic defect in their methylation system. Right. Makes sense. And, you know, I definitely have sort of been seeing more and more with the estrogen metabolism, like the the comped issue at play, you know? And so do you see that also like estrogen metabolism issues in these patients too? 
I haven't made that with the long mm-hmm. COVID mm-hmm. necessarily. Okay. However, a lot of them are having cycle problems, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. poss- possibly, yeah. I know with the comp gene, I definitely tell people you can't break down synthetic estrogen, get the estrogen out of your hormone, uh, out of your meat, mm-hmm. hormones out of your meat, get off the beauty products that are tightening, plumping, you know, firming. Yep. that's all. Get on your glutathione. <laughs> get on, yes. And, um, don't take birth control. Yeah. You know, these are the patients that are, they'll say, oh yeah, I went on birth control when I was in my twenties and I gained 40 pounds. Right. Yep. Because you can't break down that synthetic estrogen. Estrogen mm. makes us fat. That's what breast tissue is made out of. That's why they pump chickens full of it. Right. To fatten mm-hmm. them up. So yeah, you couldn't detox it. Yeah. Um, but I haven't made that connection with my long COVID patients. I'm going to go back and take a look at some of them that are, their cycles are really off. Mm-hmm. Because that's been a huge me. thing, right? That yeah. um, for both people, or I've noticed in my practice for both people that have had COVID or have had the vaccine, you know, it's like both of those can throw off the cycles and They're inflammatory markers. Yeah, exactly. They're triggering the same yep. problems with people. Yeah, yep. I agree. I 100% agree. No, I definitely should go look at that because I'm seeing a lot of irregular cycles with both. Yeah. 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 So fascinating. Well, I could talk to you forever. There's like so much. I love how you've made all these connections between all of these areas. And, you know, I agree with you on, on like hundred percent of it. And it's, it's so important. And, you know, I think one of the things that may be hard for people coming in is like, okay, so there, it is this big overwhelming thing, but working with someone like you, taking, you know, them through the process and sort of understanding where they need to hit first. So, um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the program that you run? Yeah. So once we, the first visit with people is an hour long and we do what's called a, um, timeline health history, Mm -hmm. age zero to 10, 10 to 20. Like we go through every decade, looking at major traumas, surgeries, dental work, exposure to ticks, toxins, you know, uh, mold. We didn't even talk yes. about mold. I was going to say, I was going to bring up mold earlier. And then I was like, yeah, all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, all the things so we go through every decade, as much information as we can. And then we list out every, we list out, list out all the major symptoms and rate them 10 being the worst. I put those two things together and desi- decide what labs to start running. Mm-hmm. Then when we get the labs back. I, I really kind of take a step back and figure out what's going on. What's our starting point. And then we have a couple different programs we put people into mm-hmm. right now. It's either three or seven month um, of just really doing the right thing in the right order, building mm-hmm. you up, breaking you down, mm-hmm. digging into the underlying causes and fixing what we find. Nice. It sounds simple. It's much yeah, more complicated depending is. on what we find. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. So, um, if people, you work with people all over, I take it all over the U S via we this do. program. And, yeah. And we have some patients out of the country. It's a little harder okay. sometimes to get blood drawn, but we've, we've done it. Okay. Um, yep. So we, with the great thing through COVID is we really pivoted and went more telehealth. We wanted Mm -hmm. to go that way anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're really able to see people all over the country and it's great. Awesome. So they can find out more at your website. Is that correct? Yeah. So the office website is Austin holistic doctor, which is DR. My personal website is Dr. Tanisha wards, T E N E S H A W A R D S. Yep. Nice. Two two spots. They can find us and work. Okay. Sweet. Well, I appreciate your time today and like just sharing all this amazing information with us. It was so great. Absolutely. It was great fun. Yeah. All right, you guys, I will see you next time.